Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Maybe to recap just a little bit, amen, if this is the first time you're ever here, you may just be slightly lost, and I apologize for that, but we're in a, a series on the book of Revelation, and we're about halfway through, and so we'll, we can't catch you up to speed over X number of weeks that this has been uh, thus far. Revelation chapter number 13, we'll read a few verses of scripture, one and two, and then let's pray. Uh, and I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Verse 2, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Amen. Can you have us to pray right now? Spend a little time right here because I need to transition my mind. All right. Can you help me? Lord Jesus, I come to you right now. God, I'm asking God for your help here this evening. God, uh, touch my mind right now, God, to be able to, Lord, grasp each and everything, God, that I have studied, Lord, and prepared, Lord Jesus, for this, Lord Jesus, sermon here this evening. I pray, oh God, that you're able to help us, Lord, in this place, God, each and every hearer, God, bring enlightenment. I pray, God, upon this chapter, God, as we would study it, study it, Lord, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds. Pray, oh God, that you're able to help us tonight, God, that we could learn of your word. And that word is able, Lord Jesus, to give something, Lord Jesus, into our lives, God, that we can live by and stand by. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen and amen. Everyone say amen. Amen. You may be seated this evening in the lovely name of the Lord. Just as a recap, Revelation chapter number 13, there are two beasts, and I'm just, just getting wet just a little bit here. Uh, and I'll try again to the best of my ability to talk slow, amen, to help someone out. But there are two beasts that are introduced to us in chapter number 13. One came out of the sea. The other one came from the earth. The one that came out of the sea is notably what we have studied up to this point in time, also someone known as the Antichrist. The one that came up out of the earth is the one that is known as, and we'll see later in different chapters of the book of Revelation, as the false prophet. It is the Antichrist or the first beast that will have uh, the government, the economy, the military, if you will, trying to put it into one form, one base of one world government, one economic system, and one military system. However, on the other side, the false prophet under his care will be the directing, if you will, of the one religious system that will be a part of the world. Both of these beasts are empowered by the dragon, or if you will, Satan. Both of them are empowered by Satan. So if you're looking for, uh, if you're looking for little perks or brown nose points from these two, you're not going to find it. Uh, their, 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 their path is set. It's evil. Uh, it's wickedness, it's anything of that sort and of that kind. The false prophet is going to be used as kind of a public relations person to get this religious system all in one and then tell them the person that you really need to direct your worship and attention to is the Antichrist, the first 
beast. And so with that being said, whenever we looked at the description of the beast two weeks ago that came out of the sea, we understood that John, and I have my little diagram up here again, John was looking backwards to the things that were happening, and he said that it was as a leopard, it had the feet of a bear, had the mouth of a lion, which those particular beasts also came out of the sea in Daniel chapter number 7. Daniel, though, from his point of time, these kingdoms were still yet to come. They were still yet to happen from his vantage point. So he's looking into the future while John is looking backward to the past. And so as Daniel looks into the future, he sees a lion, a bear, and a leopard, each of those representing something, the Babylonian Empire, uh, the, the Medo-Persia Empire, and also the Grecian Empire, ending with Rome and what we're seeing then in the book of Revelation, the revived Roman Empire. It was very common. It was very common uh, in the eastern uh, part of the world for them to combine notable features of various animals together into one composite animal figure in order to stress the outstanding features just in a symbol. And as we said last week, very notable of the lion is its, is its mouth and its teeth, a bear, its claws, its feet, a leopard uh, is perhaps its body, so on and so forth. And so they pulled these strengths from these things into a composite that John seen in his vision there. Revelation chapter number 13 reveals that, that the separate nations that Daniel saw and Daniel chapter number 7 and Daniel chapter number 8, that he saw about 700 years prior to this moment that John is now living in. About 700 years prior to this, what Daniel saw, that all these different kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and their strengths, uh, some of them it will be their culture, others will be their religion, all their strengths are going to come together to form a last day government upon the world as we said time and time again whenever one empire would overtake another there's certain fragments from the preceding empire that is swallowed then into one that follows it up it overtakes its territory overtakes its people and as a result of that there's fragments of other empires that's in melded if you will in this one one government system that will be at work in the last days if you remember there in verse 1 and 2 it describes it not just with uh, the leopard and the bear and, and and the lion so on and so forth but it speaks that it would have seven heads and remember ten horns and the crowns are where ladies I've not forgotten amen the crowns are upon what the horns very well the crowns are found upon the horns now there are some that surmise this and I'm just pulling this forward today and letting you know it's incorrect okay there are some that surmise that the seven heads that come up on this beast are from what Daniel saw in Daniel chapter number seven assuming then it's he spoke of a lion in Daniel 7 presumably one head all right a bear Medo-Persia in Daniel 7 presumably one head remember though the leopard was a leopard that had four heads and four wings so four heads and then the dreadful terrible beast I called the DT beast amen again just presuming that it had one head so if you count those up one one plus four my math might not be good tonight is six plus one more is seven and so there's some that believe that those seven heads are derived from there but I'm going to show you here in just a little bit that that is not the case remember that whenever Daniel in Daniel chapter number two 
that he was interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream that the fourth kingdom or the Roman kingdom was that of iron legs that went down to he began to talk about them, the feet and the toes that were part iron and part clay and again I've said this over and over but we learn by repetition he did not speak of them as a fifth kingdom but just as a continuation or extension of the fourth kingdom the feet and the toes part iron part clay being that revised or revived Roman empire more or less a continuation of the Roman empire because what happened did Rome ever really die no it fell apart in many instances but it's going to come back in the days of the latter end and form a revised or regrouped Roman empire so some assume that the seven heads in Revelation 13 is from the lion having one head the bear one head the leopard four heads and the dreadful terrible beast assumingly having one head so that would make seven heads however folks the whole idea of using that is lost whenever we learn more about the seven heads particularly in Revelation chapter number 17 because this beast comes up again in Revelation 17 it has seven heads and it has ten horns it is this beast that the harlot the whore as it's even called in scripture is setting upon this seven headed and ten horned beast and the Bible says in Revelation 17 and verse number 9 the Bible states these words and there and here is the mind which hath wisdom the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth and there are seven kings five are fallen one is and the other is not yet come and when he cometh he must continue a short space so from John's vantage point of the present day that he was living in John said of these of these seven heads and I'm just going to draw circles here all right this can represent heads five six seven he says of these seven heads from John's present day living amen he said there's five that are fallen and he said, then there's one that is, in other words, the empire or the kingdom that was serving during John's day that he's presently living in. And he says, there's one that is still yet to come, one that is future. So if the seven heads were the lion, the bear, the leopard, all right, there's six already between those, the lion, the bear, and the leopard, those had already fallen, but it would mean that one of them would have to be is or current during John's day. That doesn't work. Do you understand what I'm saying? That does not work. So these are seven heads, or it says plainly in verse 9, seven mountains, and gives further elaboration, really verse number 10, seven kings, or if you will, seven kingdoms, all right? So these seven heads cannot be the seven theoretical heads of Daniel 7 due to the phrase, again, that five of them are, are already fallen and one is serving right then during John's day amen it does not fit amen the verbiage of scripture amen and speaking that the other is not yet come but when he cometh the Bible says he must continue a short space of time okay so when we see five fallen one is and then there is one that is yet to come uh, the seventh then must be the one that must continue a short space of of time amen along with the seven heads when we talk about the seven heads there are seven kingdoms 
and rulers with those kingdoms. The five that are fallen, the five empires or kings that are fallen has already interacted with Israel historically. Amen. Or there's two different ways that this can be viewed tonight whenever you look at the seven. It can be viewed as the empires that have interacted with Israel, the nation of Israel historically, or some view it as those that are relevant to the success of the harlot or the false religion that will be established in the last days. Because if you note again in Revelation 17, the harlot is riding or is upon this seven-headed, ten-horned beast. And so uh, you say, which is it? I don't know. But I'm just saying it's either those that have interacted with Israel historically or it's those that have contributed to the success, if you will, of the harlot, amen, that Babylonian system that went way back to the beginning of time, Genesis chapter number 11. And just to show there's not really much difference between the two, let me flip this over so I didn't have to worry about, and wouldn't you know, I'm going to have to flip it around. I wasn't thinking when I did this. I didn't flip it. I wrote on it (laughs) from side to side. Amen. When we look then at the seven empires or seven kings that are already fallen, don't mind this in brackets right now, we'll consider the lineage or the line that is relevant to Israel in the interaction with Israel. The, 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 the first kingdom that Israel really had interaction with as a nation because Israel wasn't a nation until she had her time in Egypt. She went in just as a family of Israelites, but she came out as a nation. So she was formed and forged as a nation actually during her time in Egypt. She really blossomed and became more than just a family. She became a nation. And so her interaction, Israel's interaction as a nation with kingdoms gone by, if we look through that side, first and foremost would be Egypt. That's the one that she had interaction from as a nation from the very beginning. She was delivered from those years of bondage and slavery to Egypt. After Egypt, she was taken by Syria. Whenever the two kingdoms were divided, there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, the southern kingdom known as Judah, the northern kingdom was taken by Assyria. And so she was taken in captivity then. Then number three is what Daniel saw and was taken by Babylon. Babylon took both Judah and Assyria, which had the northern kingdom of Israel. So they were taken by Babylon. We know from our study in Daniel, after Babylon was Medo-Persia, after Medo-Persia was Greece, and if you look at just those five that interacted with the nation of Israel, at the point from which John is speaking, because John is serving during the time of Herod's and Caesar's during the time of Rome, the Roman Empire. That's when John the Revelator is speaking and writing, during the time of Rome. So from John's standpoint, these five have already fallen. These five have already fallen. They're off the scale. Now, you can look at that like that, or if you consider the aspect of kingdoms that might bear to the success of the harlot because she's riding on this beast with seven heads and ten horns, we would have to go back further, back here to Babel. Remember, this is Genesis chapter number 11. Remember, there's a man by the name of Nimrod. Can you go back that far when we did Daniel? There's a man by the name of Nimrod who had the very first kingdom upon the earth. The scripture tells us, amen, and he was the son of Cush, the son of Ham, amen, the the, the Ham who looked on his father's nakedness, Noah's nakedness, and was cursed. And so his kingdom, Nimrod's kingdom, was established after 
the flood and it was a great kingdom. The Bible says Nimrod became great in all the earth and he served and built the Babel. Remember the Tower of Babel? We're going to build this up into the heavens. The, you know, God couldn't even you know, do this. They were supposed to be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth, but rather than scattering, they were all staying at Babylon, building something to their own name. Look what we have done. Look what we have accomplished. And that's where the spirit of Babylon ever first began. All the way back with the first kingdom. If I could say it like this, that's where the spirit of the harlot, amen, found its origin all the way back at Nimrod and the kingdom of Babel. And then you may go to Assyria or Egypt after that. And then the succession is just the same, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece, the Grecian Empire. But with all these, the spirit of Babylon, if you go all the way back to Babel, the spirit of Babylon has been in each and every one of these empires. They've just swallowed that up. They've adopted that spirit of Babylon that is still at work today and will be in the last days. Amen. It's a rebellious spirit. That was the spirit of Nimrod. It was a re His name means to rebel. Rebel. Nimrod's name means to rebel. It was a rebellious spirit. Amen. Uh, he was the earthly king that was in great opposition to the king of kings. And so you have this long history of five, according to John, of those seven heads. Those five are already fallen. Already fallen. Everybody say already fallen. And he said, but one is. That's John's. The, the empire that's serving during John writing the revelatory book, there's one that is. And the one that was during his lifetime of writing the book was the kingdom of Rome. That was the present kingdom, the one that is. And again, kings represent kingdoms, and you can't have a kingdom without there being a king. But by a kingdom, might I say, or a mountain, because he said there's seven heads, there's seven mountains, there's seven kings. Many times mountains also signified kings or kingdoms as well. If we can go back, Jeremiah 51, Sister McGee, Jeremiah 51 and verse 24 and 25, the Bible says, and I will render unto Babylon, everybody note that, Babylon, and to all the inhabitants of Chaldea, all their evil that they have done in Zion. In your sight, saith the Lord, behold, I am against thee, O destroying mountain. What's that reference to? The Babylon he just spoke of in verse 24. Babylon, a kingdom, but he's also referring to it as a destroying mountain. All right, so the Babylon kingdom, a kingdom was referred to then as a mountain. Not only that, in Daniel 2.25, whenever it says that there is that stone that is cut without hands that will come and hit the, the, the feet of that image that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of, Daniel interpreted in Daniel chapter number 2, and it destroys all those kingdoms, that stone becomes a mountain, and it's an everlasting kingdom. So again, you have a mountain or a kingdom that's representing a mountain that filled the whole earth. Can everybody just nod their head and say, I get that. Do you get that? You don't get it. Let's go. Jeremiah 51, no. Some of, these, some of these things are things that I've said before. I'm just saying them again, all right? Amen. So instead of Nimrod and his descendants filling all of the earth as God commanded, they traveled from the east to the land, the Bible said, of Shinar and dwelt there. And throughout the ages, leaders, even presently, even presently, have tried to get the world back to a Babel state a one people, 
one government, one ruler, one control, one religion, one tongue type of society. And folks, that's where we're headed toward now. We're trying to get back to a Babel state that was in the very beginning in Genesis chapter number 11 with the first kingdom that was originated by a man. We're trying to get back to that state. In Daniel 2, remember, whenever Nebuchadnezzar had the dream, there was just one image, one man in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And though there's just one man and that system never changed, but whoever sat at the head of the system, whether it was Babel or Medo-Persia or Greece, whoever sat at the head of the system changed, but the system was the same. It was a Babylonian rebellious system and the system still exists and it's still the same. We just got different people that's trying to operate it. Different people that's trying to manage it, but it's the same. Again, in that image that Nebuchadnezzar envisioned, remember that the, 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 the metals of the image increased in hardness as it went down, but they decreased in value. And one reason why they decreased in value as it went from the head to the arms and breasts and shoulders and loins to legs to feet, the reason why it decreased in value is because at Babylon there was Nebuchadnezzar. He was a king, one ruler. And he spoke it, and it was so. When you got to Medo-Persia, you had the Medes and the Persians. There's a split, divided power. When you start dividing stuff up, power becomes less. By the time you get to Greece, Alexander the Great dies. He has four commanders. So it's split even a little bit more. By the time you get to Rome, men, they split among themselves. They have a split to the point that they fall apart and seemingly are off the scene. And whenever they come back revised, there's 10 kingdoms, 10 confederate kings. So again, it is weakened as we go further and further down. And so what happens? You have a weak governmental system. What's that doing? That's setting the stage for someone to arise who can bring strength, answers, amen, back to a humanistic kingdom. And at that stage, whenever people are so weak and things are so bad and they're divided and it's a weak place, they're looking for somebody with authority. They're looking for somebody with answers. And they will be willing to give themselves to absolute rule again after having the havoc of all these kingdoms through the ages. They will believe, here's our answer. And in doing so, they'll look to the absolute rule, although they may be deceived to a certain extent, the absolute rule of thy Antichrist, the beast out of the sea of Revelation chapter number 13. Now, I want to just share something a little bit here that I deem uh, interesting. If you don't deem it so, that's fine. We'll shake hands and smile to each other. But, and again, this is, just hear me out. According to the Islamic beliefs, the Muslims are looking for, and it's according, there's different sects of Muslims, and I'm not saying S-E-X, all right? I'm saying S-E-C-T, sex. There's different groups. There's different groups of Muslims. Some of them are looking for what they call the 12th. Some of them call it the 8th imam. An imam is nothing more but an anointed ruler or leader. And some even believe, certain groups of them believe that an imam can also be a prophet. But an imam in their religion is seen to be anointed by Allah. A perfect example, they say, of leading mankind in every way. People, and you've heard the term I know in the news, but the Shiites, uh, Islamic group, predominantly that are based out of Iran, believe only Allah 
can appoint uh, Iman, and no man has the power to do so except Allah. And it is said that the twelfth, listen to me closely, that the twelfth Iman that they're looking for is said to be the descendant of the prophet Muhammad. See, uh, in the Islamic belief, they believe that Allah is God and that Muhammad is his prophet. And so they believe this twelfth Iman is a direct descendant of the prophet Muhammad. And as a result of that, that he will have some type of divine status as did each one in the succession of sons in order to get to the 12th Amman. This 12th Amman is also called the hidden Amman, or some call him Madai, the guided one. They, he, is, he is deemed in Islam as the Islamic Messiah. Just walk here with me for a moment. Al-Madai. Madai, or this 12th Amman, is prophesied in their belief to be the great spiritual savior. As a matter of fact, most accounts of the story declared that this 12th Amman went into hiding as a child around the age of five, which was about 13th century in our time. It is said that he's hiding in caves and he's been there ever since and he will supernaturally return, listen to me, just before the day of judgment. Now listen. Listen, according to the Hadath, which is nothing more but recordings of their prophet Muhammad, amen, it's only second to the Quran, their Bible, so to speak. Here are some of the criteria. Listen to me very well. Here are some of the criteria for this hidden Iman or this 12th Iman that they are looking for. Listen to these. Number one, he will be a descendant of Muhammad. Number two, he will return just before the end of the world. Number three, his appearance will be preceded by a number of prophetic events during three years of horrendous world chaos, tyranny, and oppression. Number four, he will escape from Medina to Mecca. Thousands will pledge allegiance to him. Listen to this. Number five, he will rule over the Arabs and the world for seven years. He will, the last one, he will eradicate all tyranny and oppression, bringing harmony and total peace. So the Islamic people believe that there is a Messiah for them that's coming. He's coming before Judgment Day. He's coming before the end of the world. He's going to have, he's going to have rule over all the world for seven years. He's going to bring peace to the world. There's going to be a time of upheaval before he gets there. Does any of this sound familiar? To anybody and as a matter of fact in order to save the world in order for their messiah as it were to save the world it has to be in a state of chaos it has to be in a state of suppression as a matter of fact the sixth president of iran that served from 2005 to 2013 i wasn't going to even dare say his name but the sixth president of iran claimed that he was directed by allah to pave the way for the glorious appearance of this 12th Amman. And the sixth president of Iran spoke to the United Nations in September 2005, and during his speech, he seemed to relish the idea and the conflict that they have with the West, which they call the great Satan, the western part of the hemisphere of the world. And this is what he proclaimed. 
He says, this is, this is while he proclaims, he says, he must, the sixth president of Iran, who's no longer serving in that capacity, but as of 2013 he was, he said, I must prepare the world for the coming of the 12th Amman, or this Madai, by way of a world totally under Muslim control. He said, I'm going to work hard to bring about the worldwide horrors that must be in place for the 12th Amman to come and bring Peace. Now, I don't know if any of this is clicking with anybody right now. And I'm not saying this is it, but I'm saying give consideration that whenever the Antichrist comes and there is a confirmation of the covenant at the beginning of the last week of Daniel, seven years, there's going to be turmoil already in the world because he's going to be riding in on that white horse we studied about with the breaking of the seals, a peace. And he's going to reign through that seven-year time period even more so the last three and a half or seven years. The Messiah they're looking for is going to rule the world for seven years. The Messiah they're looking for is coming during a time of upheaval and chaos and and suppression. What are you saying, Brother McGee? I'm saying this, and again, I'm not saying this is it. I'm saying as we all do from this standpoint, we just look forward and see how things line up. That's just the best that we can do. Could all of this mean that the Islamic people will be instrumental in coordinating the havoc prior to the answers that the supposed Antichrist will bring to the world in the last day? Because what we've seen terrorist attacks, a lot of them has been propagated by some that have been attached to Islamic beliefs. As a matter of fact, there is an estimated, and this is an old number undoubtedly, but it's 2012, December 2012, there are estimated 1.6 billion Muslims around the world, making Islam the world's second largest religious tradition after Christianity. Now, the qualifications of their 12th Amman, what they're looking for, sounds very familiar, folks, to what the Antichrist is described as in the Bible. So could it be, just listen to me, could it be possible that 1.6 billion plus Muslims may be looking for their Messiah and they may find him in the person of the Antichrist. He fits the criteria. And years ago, and I'm just saying, see, this is how things, you, you can look at things because you just you go with the data that you have at the time. Years ago, Bishop, I know that whenever people study the book of Revelation, and again, we're just talking here, but there were a lot of scholars that were pinpointing uh, Roman Catholicism as the religious system in the last day. But Islam, the religion of Islam, lines up real close as well. Because, see, Muslims have children left and right. It's a part of their culture. They've got to propagate having babies. Americans and people of other nationalities are having less and less children. And as just by virtue of that, you have an increase then of Muslims and a decrease of Christianity just by virtue of that alone. So if you could already have billions of people under a religious system, amen, and have a false prophet over them, when the Antichrist comes in, think of how they could say, this is the Messiah that we've been looking for. Food for thought this evening food for thought the bible says 
that the heads, is everybody all right? Okay. Was that interesting to anybody? Okay. Let me make sure it just wasn't mean, you know. Don't be up here talking to myself. I do that all day. The heads have the name of blasphemy, the Bible says, upon them which indicate they oppose God. Remember, the dragon, Satan, that we know him as from Revelation 12, it states clearly, will give the beast or the Antichrist his power, his seat, his authority. And for this reason, then, the political world, the economic systems headed by the Antichrist, again, you can't, they will not be good, although they may have that appearance in the beginning. That is not their true intent. They're going to be evil because they are empowered by something that is evil. The enemy, Satan, called to the church at Thessalonica in his New Testament writings. He said that the coming of the Antichrist would be according to the working of Satan. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 9, the Bible says, even him, speaking of the Antichrist, whose coming is after the working of Satan. Yes, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. He's after the working of Satan because he is empowered by Satan. As a matter of fact, in our Daniel study, you won't remember it, but that's fine. Daniel 8, 24, whenever he was speaking of the Antichrist, Daniel was, in a futuristic tense, he said his power, speaking of the Antichrist, shall be mighty, but not by his own power. It's not a power of his own. It's a power that's been delegated to him. By who? By Satan. If I can read just three verses of Scripture here, back to by, back in Revelation 13. Revelation 13 and verse 3, the Bible says... And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. We're speaking about this beast that came out of the sea. I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. Verse 12. And he exercises all the power of the first beast. This is speaking of the false prophet. Before him and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, that's the Antichrist, the one out of the sea, whose deadly wound was healed, all right? Revelation 13, verse 14. Let me just, I want to read just the last phrase there because I don't want to lose you through everything else. It says, the beast, right before the common, the beast, which is referring to the Antichrist, the first beast, the beast out of the sea, which hath the wound by a sword and did live. The verses of Scripture that I just read to you, particularly the first one in verse number 3, is an explosion of interpretations about whether or not the thing that is wounded is a person or a system, a kingdom. All right? And as we've already tried to explore, is that where there's a kingdom, there's a person. Where there's a person, there's a kingdom whenever it comes to kings. Verse 3 was something important, I think, to denote, but I probably won't solidify or resolve the issue for you, but it's important, verse 3, to indicate, Revelations 13, 3, it indicates that just one of the seven heads of the beast was wounded to death. It's not speaking in terms necessarily, it's according to who's interpreting, but it isn't speaking in terms that the whole beast was wounded to death, but one of the heads of the seven heads were wounded to death and indeed we understand already from our five fallen one is and one is is to come and what we said in the book of revelation indeed we already understand that the roman empire will have a fatal wound as it is kind of fall off the map and regroup and come back together it will die as though it were uh, in the eyes of man but it will revive and come back together yet also verse number three 
also references his deadly wound. All right? So it's, it gives a personal pronoun upon his deadly wound. Again, that would denote a person. But as we studied, the system, this 12, these seven heads, ten horns, very well represent the revised Roman Empire and also the person that will come to rule over them known as the Antichrist. Some also, I'm just sharing here tonight, some believe that this deadly wound is coming just upon the man himself, the Antichrist. And everybody that's read and believed everything you ever read concerning the Left Behind series, you already know his name, I guess, you know. Never read them, sorry. I, I shouldn't knock it because I never read it, but I know enough because my wife read them. Don't believe everything that you read in just a novel, okay? Um, but some believe, amen, that, that the, the Antichrist in the man will die and will be resurrected. Now, the arguable fact is this. Satan don't have the ability to bring anyone back to life. He said, fear not the one that can just do anything to the body, the one take to the body and the soul. He, he doesn't have the ability. There's no reports throughout Scripture ever of him bringing anyone back to life. Matter of fact, death many times is associated with him, doomed, despair. But nevertheless, some suppose, though, that this, this death or this wound of the Antichrist, listen, he's a master of deception. He's a deceiver. Uh, Daniel even spoke of his intrigue, all right? beguiling the people with intrigue perhaps that the antichrist could work a imitation of a death where it appear as though he died and came back to life and no doubt you, you if you've ever went anywhere where there is a uh, illusionist or something they could do some pretty fanciful things and you think man that happened well, imagine what that will be even years plus beyond this. What could happen to make someone appear as though they died and then came back to life? Amen. Because some believe that this will happen because having the appearance that he died and came back to life will go right along with his role of being the anti-Christ, being that Christ in reality really did die and on the third day was rise again. So to oppose that or match that being the Antichrist, have the appearance as though it would look real that he died and came back to life. Some even believe that will be what uh, Paul was writing about in Thessalonians 2 when he said they'll believe a lie and be damned. So even if it seems that the Antichrist would fake a death in a resurrection scenario, in order to mimic what really happened to Christ. That's a possibility, I suppose. Verse 14, though, Revelation 13, 14 says, the beast was wounded by a sword and did live. So whenever you consider whether this is a system or a person, uh, confidently, I believe we could say a person could be wounded by a sword. That makes sense. However, I guess maybe a system could as well if we're not speaking in a literal sense, maybe literally by war or in a figurative sense, divided within, nevertheless. When we, nonetheless, if we look at verse 3, one more thing. There's, there's three statements that are linked with and there. Three statements that are linked with and. Can we go back to verse number 3? 
Please, I know I'm having you hop back and forth. I'm sorry. Amen. I got to live with you. I love you. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. These three statements that's linked with and. And usually when you link something with and, whatever, whatever, whatever follows with that, uh, it follows whatever preceded it. They're linked together. So whatever precedes the end links to what comes after the end. So it appears that the people are wondering after the beast and worshiping in the next verse the beast and the one who empowers him, Satan or the dragon, because of the miraculous healing of the beast. Now, I said all that to say this. Say, Brother McGee, what is it? What is, what is this, this head that's wounded? Is it the system? Is it the man? Well, I, I, I say tonight, why could it not even be both? Uh, the Roman Empire was wounded and it did seemingly come back to life. The Antichrist himself may very well be wounded to death, although I do not believe it would be a literal death. I do believe it would be some type of imitation of death. But regardless, the, the results are the same. The people are going to be want in wonder at the ability, whether it's system or Antichrist, or both that the system and the Antichrist has bounced back to life as it were after having been supposedly dead and so there's a lot of there's a lot of acclaim and a lot of clamor then to be around the moment whether it's the system or the antichrist whatever it is there's a lot of clamor to see something go off the scene if it was wrong to see Rome go off the scene for all those years and come back so strong that would cause some bewildered by that or if it's a man that has the appearance that he has everybody fooled, that he died and came back to life, that only happened with Christ. That would bewilder, amen, the people and get the attention of the people. In verse number 4, the Scripture says, Revelations 13 and 4, it speaks, and there's some words there, how they'll worship the dragon, they'll worship the beast, amen, and they'll say some words such as, who is like unto the beast? Who is like unto the Antichrist? Who is able to make war with him? And what you have here is really mockery-type language because in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, whenever the Bible was speaking of God and worship of God, many people during their times of worshiping God, you can see episodes of this in the Old Testament, Exodus uh, particularly, they would say concerning the Lord, who is like our God? Who is like our God? Or who is able to rage war with our God? So they're using the same language, but they're applying it to the Antichrist. It's really a mockery. It's really a mimicking, mockery type of language, amen, that they are using, the same language that they, Israel had used for God, amen, those that are following the Antichrist are wanting to use for the Antichrist. So not only is the name of blasphemy on his heads of this beast, but the Bible says he's given a mouth to blaspheme. And the time period of his, tyrant, his tyranny is this. The Bible says it will be 42 months denoted there in the scripture 42 months will he continue in verse number five the bible says again that correlates with the three the last three and a half years or the last 1260 days or the last as daniel said time times and dividing of time it's all the same 42 months he's going to have that tyranny uh, the blasphemy uh, with his mouth amen going on for that period of time and look what he blasphemes in verse number 6 of Revelation 13 he's going to blaspheme God and his name what's his name Jesus and his tabernacle that may allude to at that beginning of that three and a half mark 
of the abomination desolation spoken of in Daniel, of him going in, proclaiming himself to be God in the rebuilt temple, putting up an image there, seizing the sacrifices and the offerings, that would be blaspheming the temple, I guarantee you, the tabernacle. And look at verse 6, blaspheming them that dwell in heaven. Folks, that reference could really go far. Who's in heaven? Well, we say, well, God, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But there's the angels of heaven, of course. But consider this. Amen. Consider this. Remember, the rapture of the church already taken place. That could be you and I that he's trying to blaspheme. Those that are or dwell in heaven. But we, he's already set his doom and his demise all the way back from the Old Testament. Remember, he begins to blaspheme God in his name and his tabernacle and his people. The Bible says in Leviticus 24 in verse 16, I'm trying to write on, I don't have my clock up here tonight. God bless you. Amen. In Leviticus 24 verse 16, and, and I'm not talking slow either. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him as well as the stranger, as he that is born in the land when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord shall be put to death. Heralded all the way from the Old Testament. You start blaspheming against the Lord, you've got a consequence. Death. The Antichrist coming in, blaspheming God, the name of God, Jesus, the tabernacle and his people, he's already said his doom. And he'll come later in the book of Revelation where he and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. Amen. According to verse 7 of Revelation 13, this power of the beast of the sea, the Antichrist, he exercises it. It will be over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. In other words, contrary to some that say, well, you know, he's just going to have power in the Middle East. Wrong. He's going to have power extended over this globe. Kindreds, tongues, nations. And although there may be a remnant of Jews that we studied in Revelation 12 that will be hidden in that protected, prepared place that we spoke of and gave some ideas concerning in the wilderness or the mountainous region, there will also though be some of those within the domain of the beast. Amen. That persecuting little horn that Daniel spoke of that will come up and wear out the saints of the most high. See, folks, this is... And this is, this is per Bishop Walls. And this is an oversight, really. Bishop Walls says, the Jews have refused to accept the New Testament writings as being from God. And that's an oversight on their part. Because if that's truly the case, then they've not accepted the writings of John the Revelation. And all that's contained within. The only thing they have is Daniel and, and the other prophetic books of Ezekiel and Isaiah that concern that time then they do not consider then John the revelation then as being that that inspired or accept those writings as being from God so they have because of that oversight they set themselves to a certain degree at a disadvantage unless they would begin to accept that which there are some that do but orthodox rigid they said no that's the law the all of that that that's God that's God written God breathed and I'm going to close with this I think this is probably right I've been up here long enough right okay revelation 13 and verse 9 the Bible says he's stating all this and everything that's going on. John says, if any man have an ear, let him hear. Now, this is very similar, but unlike a phrase that was repetitive in Revelations 2 and 3. In Revelations 2 and 3, the repeating message was, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit 
saith unto the churches. It's just here, if any man have an ear, let him hear. For two reasons. The Spirit and the church are not here anymore. He's just saying, if any man have an ear, whoever is still in existence, listen up. Not making no direct uh, quote to the Spirit of the church because they're not there to speak to on the earth. Amen. It's just whoever has an ear, let him hear. Because the church is already gone at this point. It's just a general call to hear those that are living during the time of the Antichrist and the false prophet. Next week, we'll try to wrap up chapter number 13. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.